Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to MVF. Man, you guys sound so good. I'm just sitting back there listening to the voices uh, and just thinking, man, God is preparing our hearts uh, to do some work in our lives today. So I hope you came in open, uh, open mind, open heart, ready to hear uh, from God's word this morning, because I do believe he's going to teach us something that over the next few weeks is going to change our relationships. So we're in the second week of a, a series entitled Together. It's a series on relationships. So if you would grab your Bibles, head over to Genesis chapter 1, go to verse 26. It's, uh, where we're gonna, that's our first stop of the morning. But as I said, this series is all about relationships, and, and it's not uh, just marriage. We're talking about all of our relationships, uh, mainly, though, focused on the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we have with other believers, what we call in relationships here at Mountain View Fellowship. And if you weren't here last week when we kicked this series off, I feel like I need to set kind of the foundation a little bit for you as we move forward. Uh, last week, we learned that, that all of us, that mankind is desperate for a deep, intimate relationship, and uh, it's the desire of our heart. And when I say intimate, I'm not talking about sexual intercourse. I'm talking about a place where you know and you're known. Like, they, they're your people. You get it. They, they get you. They know every little detail about you. It's those types of relationships that we're talking about in this series, and God has designed us for that. Go clear back to Genesis from creation. We were designed with that in mind. We have this hole in our life that is just empty if we don't have those types of relationships, especially as believers, because not only are we supposed to foster a relationship with our God, but we're supposed to foster relationships with each other, and we're missing out if we're not doing that. And last week, we talked about this design that God has given us to, to really um, dive into these relationships for many of us, though we're missing out on that. Take a look at this, Genesis chapter 1. It said, and then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And last week, we really jumped into that, that us, that, that trinity, the three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the fact that God is three in one in perfect community. And he says, um, we're going to make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. And then it ended with this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Created them three times in that one, one verse there. Uh, almost like, hey, um, three in one. I want you to get this. You're made in our image you were designed for community. God was in perfect community with himself. He designed us in his image, which means that we have God's thumbprint on us. God knows you. He's known you since the day before you were born. He's known you. Uh, he knew you. It says in Psalm that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew everything about you. You have a God that loves you and cares for you. And he designed you a certain way. 
And for many of us, we have to admit that we're living outside of that design. We're, we're rejecting relationships. We don't have close relationships in our lives. And when we read this passage and we find out that we were created in the image of God, God is three in one. He designed us for community. I think for many of us, um, that should change the way we live our lives. That should change the way that we see the people around us. That should change the way that we interact with each other. Every single person you come into contact with is made in the image of God. How do we talk to each other? And how do we treat each other? Right? Just, the, just that line alone should change all of those interactions. Uh, this is also why, as a church, we stand against things like abortion and euthanasia and assisted suicide, and, and all these things. Why? Because we are all created in the image of God, and we are all designed and have the capacity for deep relationships with God, and not just for this life, but for all of eternity. And what we said last week is that since God is in community, so are we. So are we. We're designed for it. But we also found out last week that relationships are under attack. That we have an enemy that's working overtime to drive a wedge between you and God and you and every, every other person in your life. Why? Because God's designed us for this relationship and Satan doesn't want that. So he's going to disrupt that. He's going to cause problems within those relationships. And so last week we set the foundation by talking about our lens, the, the approach to uh, relationships. How do, we, how do we view those relationships? Is it through the lens of consumerism? Or is it through the lens of covenant? And that's where we started off last week, and we realized very quickly that for the most, most of us, we approach every relationship as though um, we're a consumer. It's all about us. And we gave you a litmus test for this last week. We said, uh, we challenged you all, all last week. We wanted you to take a, a look at every one of your relationships, and as you approached it, ask the question when it comes to that relationship, are you saying you adjust to me which is a very consumeristic way to approach your relationships, right? It's all about me. Uh, you need to add value to my life. You need to bring me joy, and if not, I'm just going to cut you out of my life. I'm, I'm bailing, I'm out. Or is it we adjust to him together? And that will tell you very quickly if you're approaching that relationship from a consumeristic standpoint or from a covenant standpoint, because that makes all the difference in the world. And so today, I want to get back to that creation story because there's an element, there's an ingredient that we have failed to add to the, the relationship batter that we must have if we really want to enjoy these deep relationships. The creation story is one of my favorites. You go to the first couple of chapters in the Bible and you read how God created everything. And uh, all, the, all the while, you know, the sky, the waters, the, the birds, the fish, the, the animals, all, all the while, he keeps repeating, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good, right? Make something else. It is good. Why? Because God is good. That's what he does, right? And it's not until he makes man that things change. He, he makes man, and this is what happens in verse 18. It says, then the, Lord's, uh, then the Lord God said, it is what? Not good. It's not good. And stop. Just pause for one minute. I want to remind you that this is even before sin has entered into the picture. You realize that? He's made mankind, and he says, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. I will make him, I, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Uh, I feel like I need to address two things in this one verse real quick. 
Uh, first of all, it is not good for man to be alone. And, and that word there, alone, is just simply meaning his existence. And so you could say it this way. It is not good for him to exist by himself. That's really what it's saying. Now, obviously, this is about marriage, but I think the connotation goes a lot further than that. It's this idea that we are not designed to live life on an island by ourselves. We are designed um, in the image of God to be in community with other people. Uh, So it is not good that he is um, doing life by himself. It is not good for him to exist alone. Um, The other word that comes up in this passage is this word helper. And so often... um, and I want to bring this up because I think we have an issue in our culture today. The argument against Christianity so often, especially for you ladies, is that Christianity makes women servants. That's what it says, right? You've probably heard that. You've Googled it, right? And this is one of the passages that we refer to all the time. And I want you to, let, I want you to know, anybody that's saying that has never read the scripture themselves. Because this actually says just the opposite of that. This does not make women doormats, all right? Uh, what this is saying, uh, the, the word helper there is actually this word azar, and it, it means literally a help or to come alongside and help. One who helps is what that word means. And what I find fascinating, and guys, I hope you get this, especially if you're in a marriage relationship today, that word is used all through the Old Testament. The majority of the time that that word is used, it actually refers to the Holy Spirit, not your wife. And so let me just kind of flesh this out a little bit because I, when I started diving into this, it opened up all kinds of stuff for me. Uh, it's this idea that God is three in one. And this word is being used to describe the Holy Spirit as, as the um, God, the Spirit, helping the Father achieve his overall mission and plan. And that same word is being used for your wife, which means she was not made by God to be your servant. It's not like God looked at Adam and said, well, this poor guy, how's he going to make a sandwich, right? That's not what he was doing. And so three, and now get this, if God is three in one, and that word's being used for the Holy Spirit, how does God approach the Holy Spirit? How does God treat the Holy Spirit? How does God the Father speak to the Holy Spirit, right? And men, are you approaching and speaking to your wife in that same manner? And if not... You're missing it because here's the thing. God says that right after this passage, he says the man will leave his family and will be, marry his wife and they will become what? One flesh, right? So you have two in one. And that word is used for your wife. Helper. It's not a servant. It's not underneath. It's beside. It's to come alongside and help achieve the mission and the purpose that God has given them. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 actually fleshes that a, le- a little more. It says that man is not independent of woman and woman is not independent of man. And it goes on to say, but all things originate from God. It's God's design. It's all about him. Is it, is it you adjust to me or is it we adjust to him? Big difference, big difference. Uh, continuing on in this passage, Verse 19, it says, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. I love that line. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's Uh, out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib 
and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Again, I love this story. God looks at man, um, says it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make for him a helper. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good. So we've got to do something about this. But I'm also going to get Adam to understand what I already know. And so I'm going to line up all the animals, and as they go by, he's going to start naming them, and he's going to realize that they're coming in pairs. And there's not one for him. It's like God is kind of leading him down this path where he realizes, you know what, it's not good for me to be alone. And I love, he realizes in the midst of all this, there's not a good helper for him. And so God creates woman and brings woman to him. It's like he's standing there going, um, not like me, not like me, not like me. Really cool, but not like me, right? And then God brings Adam, Eve, and he goes, like me. That's why he says, whoa, man, right? Um, I'm a dad. I can do this all day. Anyway, um, no, it's, it's this idea, though, that God looks at it all through creation. Sin is not in the picture. And I want you to get this. He says it's not good for him to exist by himself, so I'm going to make for him a helper. And, and by the way, God does not consult Adam on this. God never came down to earth and goes, hey, Adam, how's, how are things working out for you? Right? How, how are things going? How's that golden retriever treating you? Are, are you lonely? Can I do something else for you? You know what? I can, I can make a woman. No, God, God says it's not good. I'm going to do this, and I'm going I'm to lead this man down this path where he realizes he needs it as well, and that's exactly what he does. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is I want you to understand that line, it is not good for man to be alone, or it is not good for any one of us to be alone, still is relevant today. That hasn't changed God did not design us to exist by ourselves. It is not good for us to be alone. And so today, I, I want to share with you what I think is one of the greatest obstacles that we face in really moving into these relationships the way God wants us to, these relationships that God has for us. Uh, we talked about the way we approach them last week. This week, I want to tell you, I think the greatest obstacle for deep relationship is vulnerability. We, we lack vulnerability. We're not honest with ourselves, first of all, and we're not honest with the people around us. And what that does is it robs us. We find ourselves in this place where we have a ton of shallow relationships, surface, just barely skimming off the surface relationships, and we don't have any deep, meaningful, intimate relationships with the people around us, which is exactly what we were designed for. This is why we can have 5,000 Facebook friends, and we are lonely as all get out. And trust me, I hear it all the time because I meet with all of you. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm not happy. I'm lonely. But you got all these big, but I'm lonely. Okay. We have a problem. The problem is we're not vulnerable with each other. Now, uh, as I was preparing this, I've got this, this thought thread is just what I'm going to call it, okay? And what I originally sat down and started doing is I wanted to walk a step-by-step -step through this. And I just decided, you guys are, you're adults, you can figure this out. So I'm just going to give it to you. And I want to share with you the whole thought thread. And I'm going to kind of break it down a little bit as we move through it. And the reason I'm doing this is, first of all, I want you to get the, the big picture. 
But I'm going to leave it up on the screen for you so you can keep reading it over and over again because I believe that this, this is going to hit all of us right where we're at. I think to an extent all of us fall into this trap. And here's my thought thread. The lack of vulnerability leads to a facade which leads to a fear of being found out which leads to isolation. I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in our society today. We all lock, uh, we lack vulnerability. We have this, this God who in his infinite wisdom created us for perfect relationship with him and sin broke that. And, and when that broke, we broke relationship. Not just with him, but with each other. You can see that in the very first two kids in the Bible, right? Cain and Abel. What happens with that relationship, right? We've been jacked up ever since then. We can't seem to get relationships right. And we were designed for these deep, deep relationships. So there's this hole in our life. We desire it. We want it. We want to belong. We want to, we want to be a part of something, a group of friends that go deeper. And yet we can't seem to find it. And one of the reasons why we can't find it is because we have this fear of rejection. We don't want people to turn their backs on us. We don't want to step out there and then find out we're not accepted. And with our culture pressing in on us to always have it all put together, to have all the answers, we try to project this, this air of strength. We try to put, uh, put an image out there that we think people would accept, one that, that is not us. And so because of that, well, we're doing it so we don't get rejected. We find ourselves in this place where we're actually creating this second part. We create this facade, this image. We pretend to be somebody that we're not. I'm fine. Got it all figured out. My life is awesome. Got this great job. Things are going fantastic. I don't have any worries. Yeah, man, it's great. It's awesome. And this is where we live, is in the middle of this facade, this, this image that we're projecting to everybody else. And, and it has gotten 10 times worse over the last 10 years. And I believe some of that is because of social media. We have found ourselves almost every one of us, in a place where we're putting stuff out there that is not us. We're not being real. We're not being authentic. We're creating a facade for ourselves. And this culture has actually created a job out of it. Do you realize that? We call them influencers. And we fall into the same trap. Mom's out there yelling at dad, get the kids. We got to get a family picture. We haven't posted one in seven days. Get them out here now. And he's like, I don't want to do this again. Shut up. Get the kids out of here. So he's working to get the kids. The kids are screaming and yelling. Shut up. Smile for a minute. If you smile for five seconds, I'll give you an ice cream. I promise you, just smile. And, and out of 80 pictures, we find the one that's going to work that we can Photoshop, and we post that with hashtag my perfect family, right? And all the while, we're yelling at each other trying to get back in the bus. It's ridiculous. And I used to think ladies were worse at this, but I'm finding out guys are just as bad. Some of our younger men, they're, they're nuts. They go to the races with the boys, right? They got their beer, they're taking selfies, boop. And they, I'm just awesome, life is great, look at my bras, right? And, and they post it and they're like, you know, my crazy life. And that guy is checking to see how many likes he got on that post the next morning while he's driving the family minivan on his way to his nine to five. Image. Every bit of it. And here's the problem. You ready? We become a slave to it. It's a slave. It's an idol in our lives. And it's exhausting. It wears us out. We got nothing left. We're so sick and tired of pretending to be something that we're not. We just want something real. I believe that's why we have a whole generation of people coming into the church today. They're just trying to find something that's real. 
because everything else in life is fake and they know it. And because we're a slave to this facade, it leads us to this fear of being found out. We don't want to find out. And the more that we try to project that, hey, my life's perfect. I got it. I don't have any worries. I'm not afraid. I, don't, I never get anxious. No. You know, I, I, the more we try to project that, the more we become fearful that we're going to lose it. Because we've worked so hard to, to create that whole fortress around us. We're afraid somebody's going to see through it. Now, projecting strength without vulnerability will lead you to a fear of discovery, which will actually drive you into isolation. It'll take you into isolation. Here's the problem with isolation. When you finally get to this place, you're stuck. And I think this is where we're, many of us are at. We've gone through all of this, and we're in this place right now, and we are isolated. And here's what's interesting. Time and isolation will only lead you to loneliness. That's why I think one of the number one things that I hear from you when I sit down with you is we're just lonely. I'm lonely. But you got all these people, I'm lonely. But your family, I'm lonely. Why? Because we're spending so much time trying to keep up this facade. And here's what's crazy. You ready for this? Um, The creation story said it is not good for man to be what? Alone. And yet this is where we're at. And here's the other crazy part about it. It came out of this desire that God placed within us for community. Like we started off with the right heart, but we just went down the wrong path. And we found ourselves in the exact place that God said he didn't want us. We're alone. Lack of vulnerability leads to a facade which leads to a fear of being found out, which leads to isolation. One of the biggest tragedies of our day is that the way to get yourself into deep, intimate relationships is the very thing that we can't even allow ourselves to do. We can't be vulnerable. We have to keep up that image. So here's my challenge for you this morning. I want you to rethink how you see yourself. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I see this from creation all the way through, and and I know it to be true today is that, guess what? This is the earth-shattering one, right? You're human. I'm human. You're human. That's us. That's, That's what we do. And you know what humans do? Yeah. They get anxious. Sometimes they worry. They they are fragile. They make mistakes. They're afraid. They fail. There's not a single human being that you've met that has not failed at some point in their life. Period. So why do we pretend like we we don't fail? Every one of us, we've all failed. There's not a single person that you've ever met in your entire life that somewhere in their life, they're not weak and afraid. They worry about it. They, they stress over it because they, they're afraid that they're going to lose it or somebody's going to find out about it. Every single one of us do that. We all do. We don't have to pretend anymore. We're all human. Uh, but the good news is um, God doesn't want your image. He just wants you. Do you realize that? It says in Psalm 51, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. See, he's talking to God. He's like, you don't desire, God, you don't desire a a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, 
you will not reject a broken, repentant heart, oh God. God's like, just be honest with me. And it's, it's this place where we can start to be vulnerable. Vulnerable with God first, but then with each other. You know what the best prayers are? Vulnerable prayers. God, I'm messed up right now. I don't, I don't even know what to say, God. I just need you. I think those are the ones that God goes, now we're talking. That's what I wanted to hear. But see, the problem is we've worked so hard to create this image that we, we think that we have to pretend to be perfect. And then what that does is, of course, now we can't even foster those relationships that God has for us. We won't be vulnerable. The more that we can't be vulnerable, the more we isolate and the more that we self-determine our loneliness. Now, you can choose today to reject everything I'm saying, but I hope you realize you're going to leave here and you'll be lonely the rest of your life. But if we choose to embrace this today and we start being vulnerable with each other, I think you're going to see some amazing things because vulnerability is the one thing that ushers in deep relationship. It's where it starts. Uh, we had a men's breakfast yesterday morning, and we had um, one of our guys came in and just kind of shared some of his story from when he was childhood in childhood. And he, and he was just speak, speaking very, very honestly about where he stood, uh, bullying issues and some, some feelings of self-righteous and thinking he was better and things like that. It was very interesting to, to watch the room because there were moments in that, that talk when he was sharing that where I saw a guy's shoulders just kind of go, it was almost like they went, ah, you too. Like, finally, somebody else. We need to stop pretending, and we need to get vulnerable with each other. Now, I, I say that, and then I, I feel like I always have to say this right after that is go, look, um, be careful with who you're vulnerable with, Okay. And to the level of vulnerability, you've got to be careful because uh, I don't want you to, to stand up after the service and then meet the person right behind you for the very first time and go, hi, nice to meet you. Just so you know, I struggled with thoughts of suicide when I was in high school. That's probably not the way to start off a relationship, okay? So what you need to do is you need to, to be wise about this. It takes relationships and you've got to go deep in your relationship to, to work on being vulnerable with them. Um, but I love this because this is something I've learned in my own, uh, my own life. There's a cycle to this if you do it right. Here's what's incredible. Um, the depth of relationship determines the depth of, depth of vulnerability. So the deeper in relationship they are with somebody, the more vulnerable that you can be with them, right? Are you with me? Now, here's the crazy thing. This is the cycle. The depth of vulnerability determines the depth of relationship, so you, you foster a relationship with somebody and you get to know them a little bit and you're a little bit vulnerable with them and all of a sudden that relationship goes deeper and then, then you're, you're deeper in that relationship so you can be a little bit more vulnerable with them and when you do that, the, the relationship goes deeper. You see how this works? It's absolutely incredible when you do it right. I'm challenging you this morning to understand I'm human, I'm messed up just like everybody else and I can be honest about who I am and it's okay because God has redeemed me. And he's got something better for me. Let's pursue it together, right? Let's, let's adjust to him together. Now, um, we're talking about in relationships, which is other believers, right? 
Um, here at Mountain View Fellowship, when we talk about evangelism, our out relationship, reaching the, the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we'll use uh, this term, we'll use one habit, right? We always ask the question, who's your one habit? Who's your one? And it's this idea that there's somebody in your life that God has, has intersected your life with. There's somebody that you know that's at work or school or whatever it is that you have a good relationship with and you know that God wants you to, to Foster a relationship with them in hopes of one day being able to share Jesus with them, right? This is that person that you just, your heart's broken for. And we always ask that question, who's your one? And the one habit is this idea that you take their name, you put them in your phone every day at 1 o'clock, your alarm goes off, and you stop and you pray for one minute at 1 o'clock for that one person. That's your one habit. That's evangelism. But in this series, we've been talking about in relationships, other believers, And so I want to twist the question just a little bit and ask you the question when it comes to your in relationships, these uh, discipling relationships as we try to become more like Christ every day. I want to ask, who are your three? And I'm not making that up. I think think if you know where I'm going with this, you're already ahead of me. But Jesus had 12 disciples that he did life with. But even among those 12, he had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. He took them uh, to places he didn't take the other nine. He did things with them that he didn't do with the other nine. They experienced stuff that the other nine didn't experience. And so Peter, James, and John were Jesus' three. Uh, Luke chapter 5, Peter, James, and John were among the earliest disciples that were called. They were with Jesus longer than most of the others. And and, uh, the Bible does not say why Jesus chose these three, but he did. And it's very clear in Scripture. They got to experience a lot of other stuff that the others didn't. One of them was what they call the transfiguration on the mount. Jesus took them up the mountain. In Mark chapter 9, it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. And some amazing things happen. We don't have time to get into it today, but if you want to read it, it's in Mark chapter 9. You can read it. But what's interesting is he only took those three. He didn't take all of them. He just took those three, and they experienced stuff up there that no one else experienced within those 12. And then yet, on the way down the mountain, in verse 9, we read this. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Hey, um, it's just us, right? This is going to be a secret among us. This is something I'm going to reveal to you. I don't want you to reveal it to everybody else until later, right? Um, We could say that Jesus is being more vulnerable with them than he was all the others. And there's other examples. I mean, in Luke chapter 8, he goes to a house where a young girl's died. He raises her from the dead. He, He pushes everybody out of the house before he raises this young girl. And who does he let in the house? Peter, James, and John. They get to witness it when nobody else does. Um, Matthew chapter 26, at the end of Jesus' life, he goes into the garden to pray before he goes to the cross. You know who he takes with him? Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus was most vulnerable with Peter, James, and John. So I'm asking you again, who are your three? And it might not be three, it might be two, it might be four, whatever it is. Um, Unfortunately, here's the thing, as I was thinking and praying through this this week, I knew that as I'm asking that question, there's some of you here that are going, I don't even have one. I don't even have one. That's why we're doing this series. Because you need people like that in your life. Peter, James, and John were precious to Jesus. They were his inner circle. And and even um, after Christ leaves, you get through the Gospels, you get into the book of Acts, what you find out is those three disciples take leadership roles. You hear more about them than anybody else until Paul shows up. And Peter, James, and John actually end up being the main leaders in the Jerusalem church. 
Now, the whole idea that Jesus had a group of 12 and then a group of three tells me that discipleship level um, or discipleship uh, training and and, uh, the way that we disciple happens differently in different groups. Does that make sense? So who are in your circle of friends? Who are people that you could maybe start fostering a relationship with and maybe be a little bit more vulnerable with? Who are those that have you already put some time in that you feel like, okay, it's time to take the next step to go a little bit deeper in the relationship? How do I do that? Now, we're talking in, so let me just talk about the church a little bit because you're in groups. You might not think that you have friends, but you do. You realize that? You're sitting in a room full of brothers and sisters you're going to spend eternity with. So this is one of them. This is a church-wide group right here. We come in, we worship together. You guys um, hang out in the children's department, talk, you know, and you, you hang out in the lobby and have donuts and coffee and talk. And, and so this is one level that's pretty big. But then below that, we have things like Bible studies, 10, 20, 30, 40 people that get together. It's a smaller group. You can, you can foster relationships a little bit better there. You can get a little bit more vulnerable in those groups. Um, men's Bible studies, uh, men's retreat. Ladies, you have a retreat coming up. Make sure you sign up today before you leave. I think the last day is on the 29th to get signed up. You don't want to miss that. Why? Because this is an opportunity to practice what we've been teaching. You can get together with a smaller group of people and you can be more vulnerable with them. And then on, on top of that, we have life groups where people gather in homes and it's six, 12 people and you share a meal and you, you get to learn more about each other. You, you get to know and be known and be more vulnerable and then on top of that I hope that every one of you is answering the question who is discipling me and who am I discipling this idea of of you have just this group of people maybe three in your life that are pouring into you and that you're pouring into to raise them up to be more like Christ discipleship is taking place in all those groups but it's taking place in different levels And I want you to go deeper in this. I want you to dive into these deep, intimate relationships. And the smaller the group size is, the deeper the the investment, the deeper the intimacy, the more vulnerable you can be. And the commitment and the accountability skyrockets in that moment as well. Who are your three? Can you name them? And if not, you have some work to do. I started thinking through this and I thought, man, what happens is as as a church, if we really got this, like if we really started to, to reach out and gather two or three people around us that we're really close with and go, hey, I'm going to start just fostering relationships. I'm really going to get serious about this in 2023. I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to be vulnerable with people. I'm going to watch the relationships grow. What would happen? You know what I think would happen? I think a lot of our loneliness would go away. I think we'd find purpose. We get excited about the groups of people we were hanging out with. We would be thinking all week long about that, you know, Friday night when we get together and have dinner. We'd be excited about our relationships again. And here's the other thing I think would happen is that you guys would be fostering those types of relationships. You would have such tight relationships that an unbelieving world all around us would see it. It would shine in a very, very dark area. Let me tell you, the world is lonely and they desire these types of relationships. You know how to foster them. And if they saw that in you, guess who they would be talking to? It would open up all kinds of doors. I also believe that when it came to discipleship, we would excel. We would be growing by leaps and bounds because we would be vulnerable with each other and we would be sharing with people what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with, and they would be helping us out from a biblical standpoint and we would see massive growth within every person within this church. Who are your three? Who are the three 
that you're going to invest in and have them invest in you intentionally, strategically? Who are you developing with? Who, who are you helping to instill the character and the conduct of Christ in? Who is it for you? Because I promise you this, it's going to have to be intentional on your part and you're going to have to be vulnerable if you're going to reach those types of relationships, if you're going to dive deep in those intimate relationships. I desire that for all of us in this room. Can I just pray for that? Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we come to you admitting that we are broken and messed up, Lord. Um, admitting for the most part that we hide behind a facade. And Lord, because of that, we have, uh, we've lost our way. We've found ourselves bowing down to an image, um, projecting strength that has no root in anything. God, we confess that. We give it to you. We ask that in this moment that uh, you would plant your Holy Spirit within us to, to give us the strength, give us the courage to be able to step out, to be vulnerable, to pursue two or three brothers and sisters in Christ so that we might grow in these deep relationships, Lord. And I pray that as we do this, that you would use those to mold and shape us into people that look more and more like you. Lord, we just ask that as we do this, that your name is made big, that you are glorified in all these things. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.